This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Whitney Hansen. Whitney is a poet, and through her vulnerability and authenticity, she has connected with thousands of readers and adamantly believes that poetry is not a dead language. Rather, it's the key to unlocking true vulnerability, which leads to deeper connection with one another. She joins me today to discuss her latest collection, Home. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Whitney. Hi, I am excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. And, and I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody to begin, which is where does your story as a writer begin? Yeah, so I think that my story as a writer and my story as a published author are kind of two different things. Um, so I'll start with my story as a writer. I have been writing since I was probably in middle school. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. And then in high school is when I really discovered poetry. And I had always had this conception of poetry that it had to be like super intellectual. And um, a lot of times people think of poetry as something that the average person doesn't understand. Um, and that perception kind of changed when I was in high school because modern poetry was kind of becoming a thing. and. Um, people the the poetry world was changing and i found that poetry could be more of an outlet of expression not just this like ancient art form that um was difficult to understand for the average person and so i think that gave me a lot of freedom to just start writing whatever i wanted to write and calling it poetry and i think that um in its truest form that's what poetry is it's um art without writing without limits um and so that's that's how I started as a writer it was kind of just something that I did for myself it was like a coping mechanism and then in college that's when things started to take off in a different way um I shared some poetry through social media um but I never really gained a lot of traction on social media I didn't have very many followers um, and I wasn't really doing it for followers. I was doing it because I just needed a space to create. And then I started writing a book. And again, it was just a project for me. It wasn't really for anyone else. Um, 
But as I was writing the book, I started sharing my poetry more through TikTok. And that's when um, I started to gain a large following. Um, and then I published the book, not really expecting a whole lot out of it. And I, I self-published originally. And then about a year later is when I was contacted by Penguin Life and they wanted to republish the book. And so now now I'm a traditionally published author. And so that's how I got to where I am. <laughs> Tell me about that. So so just going back to the self-publishing thing, how did you feel about going through the self-publishing process? I mean, I assume it was the first time you ever tried to do anything like that. What was that? What was that like for you? And did you have any help with that? I, I it was very frustrating <laughs> um, in some ways because I was just learning it all on my own. Um, I didn't really have anybody that I knew that had done it before. And so I didn't have anybody to ask questions except for Google, I guess. Um, so I, I learned a lot and I'm very glad that I did it. And I would definitely recommend to other people who are thinking about writing a book to just self-publish because you can put your own work out there. You don't need um, a publisher to validate um, the fact that your your work deserves to be seen. Um, but it was it's definitely not something that's easy. Um, it's it's learning how to format a book. It's not just it's not just writing the book. It's formatting. It's um learning how to work technology to upload it and then you upload it and all of a sudden you realize your formatting's all wrong and you have to do it all over again. So um, it's a process. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a steep learning curve. I've I've done it uh, with my, you know, really early stuff. And, you know, the first one, you, you learn a lot, you know, with that first one. And then, you know, of course, you can take those lessons into your, your next projects. But um yeah, just from formatting to it's almost like writing is the easy part. And then all of a sudden it's everything else that goes with it, whether it's, you know, typesetting it or putting together, you know, the front matter, the back matter, um, and then just getting it up on on the different platforms. It's uh, it, there, there's a learning curve there. But um, what I'm curious about is how did you come across Penguin uh, Random House's um, eye? How did they how did they find you? They found me through social media. Um... And they just reached out to me on that. My editor, my current editor, reached out to me through email and just said that she'd read my book and um, was really interested in in publishing. Actually, they were interested in publishing um, future work. Um, and then they decided to also republish Home. And so then I ended up doing like a two book deal with them. So I have another book coming out in November with Pigman. Oh, very cool. Um... Now, did you have to find an agent after they contacted you? How did, how did the business side of that work? Yeah. Um, so I actually had an agent for a while um, because I was looking for a book deal for my second book. And I dealt with a lot of rejection. And um, and I got to this point where I was just frustrated with trying to go the traditional publishing route. And I ended up dropping the agent um, because I was just going to self-publish instead. And it was, I think, like two weeks after I had ended that contract with that agent that um, Penguin reached out to me. And so I ended up finding another agency um, to work with, but Penguin gave me some recommendations of agents that they had contacts with. And 
So then I, I had an agent, didn't have an agent, got contacted by the publishing company, got an agent again. So <laughs> did you ever circle back with that initial agent um, after you had the offer with after Penguin reached out to you or, or no? Um, not really. Um, we, we had like a good relationship, but I just felt like business wise, I, maybe they weren't the best agency for me. Um, but. All right. Very cool. Well, it's, 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 you know, a lot easier to find an agent when you have interest from a publisher already. You know, it's like for them, it, it makes their job a lot easier, I think, because they don't, they, they don't have to sell it really all that hard. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, it it wasn't. I think a lot of authors go the process of finding a agent first, then going to a publishing company. I guess, and I guess I did that process first, um, but then I I ended up getting rejected a lot and didn't find a deal anyway. So then I then I did it the reverse way, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. In in the intro, I talked about you know vulnerability. There, there, you know, just even querying agents requires a tremendous amount of that because, you know, you're, you're putting your work out there and you're kind of like, hey, is this good enough to be represented by somebody? And you're right. You do get or many people do. Um, I shouldn't say everybody, but, you know, rejection comes with part of the territory. And, you know, it, it takes a, a thick skin to keep going, you know, back at it to to find somebody to represent you. Yeah, definitely. And. I think that it's not something that people see like the rejection side of it because it's obviously like I'm not broadcasting everywhere. Oh, I got rejected today. <laughs> um, and I think that that's an important part of the author journey is is realizing that you're probably going to face some rejection. Um, and it is really hard, especially I think with poetry or with any kind of writing that's really um, personal to to get rejected because it's like you're putting you're putting your heart and soul out there and then someone's telling you no we don't want that and that's that's hard to take um, and I I didn't deal with it well the first few times and um, then I got better at it and then I got to a point where I was like well I I'll publish my own work then because I believe in my work and so. I think it's important to to continue to believe in your own work, even if you're not getting those yeses all the time. Did did those rejections fuel any of your creativity at all? I honestly would say that they did the opposite. Like I I wish I could say that they they fueled my creativity and it made me like really um, adamant about sharing my work, but it actually. I I was feeling really like not confident in my work for a while um, because of those rejections. And I was questioning whether I was supposed to be like a, a real author or whatever. Um, so, so I think I, I wish it had, <laughs> but I definitely, I, I, I didn't um, take it really well. Yeah. What a, that's natural. That's natural. I mean, over time, I think it it does getting that rejection does get easier. Um, you know, for for better or for worse, it it just does. And you know, you kind of laugh about it. Um, you know, the the form letters you might get from an agency, you know, which all kind of say the same thing. Um, 
talk about a lack of creativity. Somebody needs to work with agents to to really help them polish <laughs> up those rejection letters a little bit more, I think. Yeah, it's just it's always like um this isn't really what we're looking for right now. I'm like, okay. But good luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what can you share with us about uh, this latest collection, Home? I know uh, it was self-published and now it's it's being traditionally published. But what, what can you share with us about um, about the collection? So the collection is divided into four sections. And it's supposed to be a progression of healing from loss and from heartbreak. Um, it's I wrote it directly from my own experience with loss and heartbreak. And I wrote it while I was in the midst of finding my way out of that loss and heartbreak. So the four sections in the book are losing, lost, flying, and home. And it's like a progression of finding your way back home, in a sense. Um, and it's it's definitely very raw and very honest and um, very vulnerable, I think, that that everyone can probably find something that they relate to if you've ever lost someone in any capacity in their in your life so yeah we're we're not just talking romantic love here it could be loss of a you know loss through death or or distance or something like that yeah i originally thought that the book would only resonate with people who had lost romantic love but after releasing the book, I've had a lot of feedback that's like, I, I'm grieving someone and this book has really helped me. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize actually I, that it would connect with more people than just those going through romantic heartbreak. But the feedback I've gotten is that it's, it's for anyone who's dealt with any kind of loss. Yeah, I mean, it, it could because they're, you know, especially through death. And I just had a very close person uh, to me pass away. Um, there is there is heartbreak there. Right. And it's not it's not too dissimilar from the loss of a romantic relationship. Um, if anything, it's it's more permanent because there's zero chance that, you know, you're going to see this person again. Um, so interesting. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to uh, to dig into that a little bit more um, as I as I read your collection. Just kind of uh, kind of understand that a bit more. I don't know. Um, I know we're getting deep here, but. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the only way with me. Tell me, you know, vulnerability comes up, you know, quite a bit when I talk to writers uh, and authors and it, even for people who write fiction. Tell me about vulnerability through through poetry and, and you know, why that's so critical. I think that a lot of us go around assuming that we are alone in the things that we're feeling and experiencing. And I think that loneliness today is something that plagues a lot of us. Um, and with vulnerability, you put yourself out there in a very real, authentic way, and you suddenly realize that there are a ton of other people that are feeling the same way that you're feeling. And for some reason, that makes it less hard to feel the way that you're feeling um, is to realize that you're not alone in feeling that. And I would say that that's why vulnerability is so important. And it's also so difficult because you are being really real and and 
putting your soul out there. Yeah, um, because there's there's a danger there, right? I mean, you, you, you put you put something so personal out there. You know, the danger is somebody might re reject it or criticize it, um, which, of course, they do because you hear about it, you know, I'm sure on social media, you know, in book reviews. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's tough, but it's also critical, right? Because if if you're not being vulnerable, that's going to come through as inauthentic, I would imagine, in in your writing, especially in poetry. Yeah, definitely. I think that honesty is is one of the most important things with poetry, especially. Um, but yeah, also with along the lines of the like social media and people having like negative opinions about what you have to say or about you're you putting yourself out there i just think that a lot of times we we take those negative opinions and we we just immediately think of them as fact for some reason and then we take all of these positive feedbacks that we get and we have a really hard time accepting them Right. And I, it's like, why, why is it that I see this comment on social media that says your writing is terrible and I'm like, oh, yep, that must be fact. But then you see this comment, like 50 other comments that are like, this resonated with me. This is so important to be heard. And, and you just kind of brush it off like, oh, you know, it's, it's not, that's not fact. But I think we need to start um, taking a lot of those positive comments more seriously yeah i mean that's where the imposter syndrome comes in right you know you, you uh, this couldn't possibly be true about me this this praise i'm getting couldn't possibly be true because i'm not supposed to be receiving it um i hear it time and time again i experience it time and time again you know and i'm almost 50 and uh, i still feel like an imposter in many of the things that i do i i don't know where it comes from i probably need some what i would call time on the couch to figure that out yeah I I haven't figured that one out either. I I still haven't figured that one out. I don't understand why it's it's so hard to accept the the positive feedback from people. Um but it's so easy to accept the negative feedback. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I think it's like some kind of internal defense mechanism. Like there's some like protector part of our personalities that are just, you know, not not letting us fully experience the uh the joy, because, you know, what happens if it doesn't come back? I don't right. know. Okay. Now, now I'm getting deep. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do want to go back to something you said, which was about not feeling so alone. And I, I think you really hit on something there because so many of us feel like we're alone in our emotions sometimes. And, you know, whether or not it's going through loss or or something else, we we sometimes feel alone. And And the irony is that, like, we're more connected now than we've ever been as, you know, as as a as a culture of of human beings, right? Because, you know, we're doing things like this. We've got social media. Um, we're we're connected to people, you know, in our pockets, basically. But, you know, there's so many of us who feel alone in particularly feeling negative emotions. Um, so I love the the notion of sort of using, you know, your writing and poetry as a way of helping people not not feel so alone, you know, to, to feel like there are people out there who are experiencing the things that that they're experiencing. I think that's particularly important for, for you know, children and adolescents. Yeah, 
I, I would agree. And I think that what you say is true is that we're all much more connected than we've ever been before. But I think that in some ways we're connected in an inauthentic way because social media, everybody kind of posts their their highlights, their most right. positive moment. It's like, although we are connected, we're all constantly living in this highlight reel of everyone else's lives. And I think that that's kind of the important thing about poetry on social media is because it's that connection without the highlights. It's just raw emotion. And so I think that it's very important. Um, it's a very important part of social media. Yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about this this highlight reel that people post, you know, they're they're posting the good moments, right? They're posting the the staged almost, right? Staged moments. You know, I'll see pictures of people like pretending to be a happy family when you know that, you know, this is not what what reality is and and it sets like these unrealistic expectations up. And and I and I particularly worry about it for for like my kids, right? So I have 3 21-year-olds at home and um you know, they're they're all in adulthood now and, and doing adultish type things. But, you know, I worry that, you know, the things that they see on social media because they've grown up with it. Right. They they've and and you probably have, too. Right. I'm, uh, I'm 22. So yeah, okay. I'm, so I'm the same age as your kids. Pretty much. There you go. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, having these it's like seeing these unrealistic expectations and then worrying, hey, why isn't my life as good as as what I'm seeing here? You know, what's wrong with me? And and it's like the wrong question to be asking. It's it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's wrong with with these people who are just, you know, posting these, you know, idealized versions of of themselves on there. I, I think that does a lot of harm to people. Yeah, I I would completely agree. And I think that social media is is a positive in some ways, but it's definitely a negative in other ways. And it's difficult to find that balance in your life. And I still struggle to find that balance in my life um because it it can be really toxic if you allow it to be um and i i think i'm that's something that i'm still figuring out how to do as well as to um to not take everything i see on social media as as fact um and realize that everybody's very human and very flawed and so that's something i'm working on as well <laughs> yeah and but you know on the other side of the coin you know if if there's no social media if there's no tiktok then there might be no book deal right because that's how you know that that really helps spread the word from from your collection right so it's it's like it's a difficult position to be in because i do think that i have like a love-hate relationship with social media because um in some ways it it is it's like my job <laughs> right. um and so i i have to do it and um i appreciate everything that it's brought me and the people that it's connected me with because i think that i found a beautiful community on social media but i also think that it can be hard not to play the comparison game to everyone else. So Right. Well, I'm curious to know about the bees because I'm, I'm looking at the cover of the book. Tell me tell me about the bees. What's the, the significance of the bees? So the bees are symbolic for 
the loss and the trauma and the grief that you experience in life. So the way I imagine it um, on the cover of the book is a woman's face and then the bees surrounding her face. So I think of like the self as a beehive and then the bees are like all the things that you've experienced, um, losses, traumas, negative experiences. And there's a part in the book where I say that the bees aren't going to go away and sometimes they'll be chaotic and sometimes they will be at rest. Um, but if you can learn to make peace with your your bees, you will be all right. And so the point is just that those losses and um, that heartache is always going to be a part of you, but you learn to grow around that heartbreak and um, evolve from that heartbreak. So it's it's like it's like saying that that the grief doesn't go away, but you continue to grow and you can learn to make peace with it. Yeah. And there's 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 lessons I think there from from positive experiences we have in life and also negative experiences and, and certainly the loss of of love or person is a negative experience. But if if we you know over time can look back on those experiences and say, well, what did I learn from this? How did I grow as a person as a result of this? Then you know, then maybe it's not even grief anymore. You know, maybe it's it's something else. Maybe it's a teacher. You know, maybe it's it's a lesson. Um, I'm not smart enough to figure out what that is, but I think um, I think that's how. That's I think that's an interesting way of reframing it. Is what did I learn from this experience? How did I grow as a as a human? And and how how can I, you know, maybe share that with others somehow? Yeah, I I think, I think that too. Um... We, we definitely, I, I think the point is just that we, we carry those things with us and, um, hopefully we can find a way to, to use them in a more positive light. Um, I think that in the moment it's hard to see your way out of, um, of heartbreak when you're, when you're in it, but then looking back, yeah, it's it's easier to see how that has taught you or how that's changed you or how that's made you into a best-selling author. <laughs> I'm curious uh, behind, behind you is a picture uh, on the wall. And that is the picture that I, I know was used on your book cover. What came first? Is that, is that a rendering of the book cover or did that inspire the book cover? That is the original sketch of the book cover. Um, I had a friend of mine did all the art for the book cover um and she she wasn't actually like a graphic designer she was a tattoo artist and so she came up with all well I came up with the concept but then I asked her to to draw this concept and she um took her own creative liberty and and came up with that so that's the original sketch of the book cover No oh, very cool very cool. That's a that's a great story. You, you can't lose that. That that that's got to follow you wherever you uh, wherever you go in life. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the ways I like to uh, wrap up my conversations is by getting to know my guests a little bit better through pop culture. So I'm curious. I know we've got a generational divide here, but I'm curious. Uh, uh, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? 
Oh man. Um, I mean, grow when I was like probably yeah. I I watched a lot of um, Disney Channel growing up. Well, what were your go-to shows? Hannah Mont. I was a big Hannah Montana fan. Oh, I mean, who wasn't really? Yeah, I mean, that show was. <laughs> that show was um, always on in my house. Yeah, Hannah Montana. Um, I liked Wizards of Waverly Place back in the day. <laughs> Another good one with um, Selena Gomez, right? Yeah, yeah. I think those were probably my my two favorites. Yeah. Did you did you do any uh any, any like the Wiggles or anything like that? Like when you were really young, do you remember any of that stuff? No, I do remember. I watched. Um, I watched Dora a lot when I was like little, little. Um, and the Teletubbies, I think. <laughs> oh, they they were so creepy to me. Yeah, they kind of were. <laughs> I was totally creeped out by the Teletubbies, but Dora, you know, can she give Swiper the Fox just one break? You know, maybe yeah. one episode out of a hundred. You know, he, <laughs> he gets to swipe something and get away with it. You know. <laughs> I was uh, I was Team Swiper. Um, what about music? What do you like listening to now? Or when you were when you were younger? Yeah. Um, I listened to like when I was a kid. I listened to Beethoven's Wig, which was this CD that my grandpa gave me, and I was obsessed with it. And it was like. It's all classical music, but like lyrics put to classical music, and they're all like silly little songs. Um, Th that is so, fascinating. I have never heard of this. Yeah, it was kind of an obscure thing, but I remember being really, really into it. And um, um, I knew I probably still know all the, like the lyrics to classical songs. So now when I hear classical songs, I don't hear like like the Beethoven, the like dun 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 dun. I hear Beethoven's wig. Like I, I can't hear it without the lyrics now. It's ruined it. It's ruined classical music for you, maybe, or maybe enhanced it. I don't know. I don't want to be judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> what about now? What do you like listening to now? I listen to um, one of my top artists is Lizzie McAlpine um, and Phoebe Bridgers, and uh, I just lost her name. Gracie Abrams. Those are probably my top three. They're kind of um, like indie a little bit. I don't know how to exactly to describe yeah. the style, but that's okay. I'm nodding like as if I've heard of them, but I have no idea. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> maybe maybe Phoebe Bridges. I think I've heard of her. Um, but if if one of my girls were here, they'd probably be kicking me right now. Because apparently I haven't I haven't bought new music since 1990. That's okay. Who's your favorite artist? My oh gosh, um, I love you too. They're, they're the band I've seen most in concert. Um, I like everybody though. I mean, I I don't really have. I can't even say if I have a favorite genre of music because I listen to yeah. everything from country to um, you know hip hop to oh, yeah. heavy heavy metal. Like I'm I'm all over the map musically. I am too. I'm I'm in a weird country phase right now. I, I was off country for a while. Now I'm back on country. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I You know, when I when I say country, like I like. If we're talking like Sirius XM, I listen to the not the highway, the other one, uh, Y2K, Y2 country. 
yeah. which is like from the early 2000s to 2010, maybe. The newer stuff, I, I, I don't know. I can't really get into it all that much, but um, I'm sure I, it's fine. But I can't. I get- listen to like the, I'm also not into, I guess like, I'm not into like pop country, I guess. I'm into um, like folk country, but. All good. Yeah. All good. Um, do you have a favorite place where you like to write? I mostly like to be outside um, when I'm writing, but I find that poetry kind of hits me at random times. And so it's kind of just wherever I am when inspiration strikes. And sometimes that's like the aisle of the grocery store. And sometimes that's on a bus somewhere um, on airplanes. I like to write on airplanes a lot um, because I'm like disconnected from my phone and from everything. and. I always say say that like when I'm scared of airplanes, I'm scared of flying. And so I think something about being like feeling like I'm I'm on the edge of, of like death makes me become this like existential writer all of a sudden. And so I think maybe maybe that's why I like it. The edge of death. That sounds like a provocative title for a collection. Yes. <laughs> the edge of death. Um, I never, when I I fly a lot, I never really think of flying as being on the edge of death. But now, the next time I get on an airplane, thank you very much. That's what I'm going to be thinking about. (laughs) I I definitely, like, I'm aware that that it's relatively safe and and nothing's ever happened to me on an airplane. But um, Well, clearly because you're here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I definitely, airplanes kind of scare me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I could see where it could be unnerving. You know, 35,000 feet up in the air, traveling at 650 miles per hour. What could go wrong? Yeah. Sometimes I like to convince myself, though, that that it's like people figured out teleportation and they didn't want everyone to know that we figured it out. So they put us in airplanes and they tell us that we're going way up in the air, but really we're just teleporting. And so I just like to imagine that I'm not actually 30,000 feet above the ground. I'm actually just in a teleportation simulation. Okay. So you trick yourself is what you're yeah. saying. Okay. Yes. And it makes me feel much better. I, I smell a science fiction book uh, coming from you someday. <laughs> uh, it's possible. What about favorite places to read? Also outside. Um, yeah. I, and I, I like just like hanging out in my car sometimes um, when I have like 15 minutes, when I get somewhere like 15 minutes early, uh, I can just sit and read or sit and write in my car before I have to be where I am. And last but not least, if, if you could give your younger self some words of advice, you know, what would, you know, and, and it's, you know, the, 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 you would start off by saying, dear younger me. What what comes after that? Dear younger me, what, and what's the advice you give your younger self? I would say, dear younger me, you should believe in yourself more and advocate for yourself more. Because I think that learning to advocate for myself has been something that is really important and advocate for my work and um, feel proud of my work is something that I I definitely needed when I was um when I first started writing. Yeah. 
If it found, sounds like you're uh, you're getting there. Yeah, I think we're always getting there. I don't think there's a destination. Actually, <laughs> I think we're always just getting there. Well, you know, Nike used to have this slogan. I don't even know if they still use it, but um, back in my day, they used to say there is no finish line. Um, and I think that's that's kind of true here, right? So they're, they're yeah. you know, you, maybe you might stop writing, but you're never really done. Yeah, for sure. Very good. Well, uh, tell me, Winnie, where can people purchase Home? So you can find Home and pre-order my next book on my website, WhitneyHansonPoetry.com. And yeah, follow me on social media at Whitney Hanson Poetry on everything. All right. I'll be sure to put that in uh, the show notes so people don't have to, to write that down. We'll uh, make it easy to find you. Uh, what's the name of the next collection? Do you have a name for it yet? Or? Uh, it's Harmony. Harmony. And it comes out in November. All right. Very good. Well, we'll be on the lookout. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about Harmony. Awesome. I would love that. Very good. Whitney, thank you for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.